Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you are encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from Pastor Kevin Miller. Week 11 of Grace to You and Peace. We've called this series a field guide for faith. And we're learning as we're journeying through the New Testament one chapter a day, what we're doing, doing during this series is that whatever is on the reading plan for that day is being taught that Sunday at church. And so today happens to fall on 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I believe God has something real special in store for us today as we learn specifically about this chapter, church leadership, and the role of the, the church that God has called us to. Um, Because ultimately what this is about is us representing God well in all that we do. And a lot of that comes down to relationships and relationships pastorally with others and and in and around the church. It's so important. I was thinking, I've been thinking a lot about my relationship with uh, my wife, Jen, because we're coming up on 17 years of marriage in a couple weeks, which is a big milestone. And um, I'm Man, God bless Jen for being married to me for 17 years. Uh, man. But I, you know, when I, when I was young, I don't know about you, but when I was young, I always dreamed about being married. And being married to Jen, I just got to say, she's not in the room, but I just got to say, it's the best. It's better than I dreamed. And I'm so honored to be married to Jen Miller. And, and, and it's, been, it's been quite a journey, that all that God has taken us through over the years. But you know what's funny? I, I look back, and, and so often as a pastor, I get to be there as couples meet each other and date and, and get engaged and get married, and we talk through all of those seasons. And so I meet a lot of people in, in, in all of those different phases. And you know what I've found is that oftentimes when we're real young, maybe this is you, when you're you know, in your teens maybe, you have like the bar is high for that person that one day you're going to get married. In fact, if 15-year-old you maybe had like pages in a journal about all of the things that he's going to be, all of the, the these are what, this is what we're going to name all of our 12 children. All of their names are going to start with J. It's going to be so great, right? You've got it all, all mapped out. That's 15-year-old you. And then... 18-year-old you comes along, and you haven't met him or her yet. And so what I find is that, unfortunately, the bar starts really high, but over time when desperation kicks in, some people start to lower the bar. So your 18-year-old self is like, I don't, need, I don't know if I need this last whole page of attributes, and you just kind of rip that out. And then when you're 25 and you still haven't met him or her, then you're like, you know what? We're going to narrow it down to like the top five. You know, I think that's probably a little bit more realistic. And then by the time I, I, I meet some like 35-year-olds who are full in full desperation mode and they're like, is he human and is he breathing? <laughs> Marriage material, all right? Introduce us, please. <laughs> now listen. Can I just say, if you are, you, you are planning by now in this season of life to have already been married and you've, you feel like des- desperation's kicking in and you got to meet somebody, can I just tell you, keep the bar high. You're worth more than that. Don't drop the bar, right? Okay? I, and I meet too many people that I think either in love or even in our topic today in leadership, it's like they're playing limbo with the bar. 
How low can I go? And listen, when you consistently drop the standard, you will in turn consistently reap the consequences. And God's vantage point is very different than ours. Although sometimes out of desperation, we will lower the bar. Here's the title of the message today, Raise the Bar. I believe God has called us to a life that is, that is to a higher standard than we often settle for. In fact, here's what I want to share with you today from 1 Timothy chapter 3. That the, the standard for the, the leadership of the church is high because the standard for the example of the church is high. God has given us pastoral leaders to look to as an example for how to pattern our lives as followers of Jesus. And so 1 Timothy chapter 3, I don't know if you read it this morning and you were just reading about pastors and deacons and you're like, where am I in this? Oh, you're all over that because all of this has to do with being a follower of Jesus. So today, let me, let me give you three thoughts. We're going to start here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want to start here with number one. Would you write this down? Jot this down. We, weren't, we were not built to exist We were built to aspire. Write that down. Come on. We were not built just to coast and exist through life. We were built to aspire. I pull that word aspire out of verse 1. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or pastor, he desires a noble task. The word aspire, when Paul uses it here, means to eagerly reach for something, to strive toward. It carries with it the implication of making the necessary sacrifices to get the thing that is before you. Paul is saying those who aspire to this desire a noble thing. Now, I know our context is spiritual leadership. But I, but I hope today that God plants some vision and a desire in your heart, whether it's pastorally or not, that you begin to aspire toward and pray for. You know, maybe you could even think back on a time in your life when, as a little kid, somebody asked you the, the famous question, what are you going to be when you grow up? And we all had our dreams and aspirations, right? We were gonna be, I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to be a firefighter. I remember thinking like, man, I got, I got some height in, in the jeans here. Maybe I should play in the NBA. And then I touched a basketball. And I was like, don't judge me just because I got the height and not the skills to pay the bills, all right? Uh, and, and I don't know what it was that you're dreaming about. In fact, I remember talking to one of my kids years ago, asking them that same question. What's something that you love to do? What do you want to do when you grow up? And I remember one of them saying, I want to be a cashier at the Dollar General. (laughs) And I was like, that's a job. There, There you go, right? Like, what I'm glad for is that you are planning on getting a job, all right? That's a good thing. Let's, let's keep moving in that direction, all right? And then Maybe God will give you some even bigger things to, to pray for and aspire toward. As you, you know, they're thinking like discounts at the Dollar General. Like, I'm, I'm feeling that, you know? 
So I imagine at some point we all had some aspirations and some dreams and some desires. But listen, I meet way too many people who are just existing and drifting and coasting and maintaining in life. And they've given up on things that just felt impossible or out of their reach. And man, God has put it on my heart today to tell you, to, I, I'm praying that you are today inspired to aspire, to reach for something that unless God uh, unless God intervenes, it's going to stay out of your reach. I, I'm, I'm praying that you are stirred up today to begin praying for things and dreaming about things that are beyond what you could pull off, that your life would be on a miracle basis. That at the end of our lives, we would get to a place where we say, man, when I look back, obviously God showed up because I couldn't have done that without him. Come on, you were not made to just drift and coast through life. I know the context here is pastoral leadership, but the principle applies everywhere. God has wired you for something so much more than just existing. Come on, you listening to me today? Don't waste your life. There's too many people who are going to get to the end of life and have missed everything that God's called them to. Paul says right here, aspiring is a great thing. In fact, a great book on this, if you want to read a little bit more in depth on this, one of my favorite books on this topic is a book called Rescuing Ambition by Dave Harvey. Rescuing ambition. I would encourage you to read it. I wrote down his definition here of ambition. He says, ambition is the instinctual motivation to aspire to things, to make something happen, to have an impact, to count for something in life. Or the great missionary William Carey said this, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Come on, that's a life that matters right there. I'm going to pray because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expect God to do great things in my life. But I'm also, as he leads me, going to attempt great things for God. I don't want to live a life that is just petty and coasting and maintaining. I want to live a life where God has to intervene as he leads me and as I pray. This is the life that I believe God is calling us to live. Don't just exist. When you get to the end of life, you want to, man, when I get to the end of my life, I don't want to just like be all rested and ready. Like we've got all of eternity to rest. Okay. I want to, at the end of my life, army crawl across the finish line, battered and beat up because I, I was what Paul said. I spent and was spent for the gospel. I want my life. Come on, church. I want your life to matter for something than more, more than just a nine to five job and just paycheck to paycheck and back to the grind, back to my Mondays. No, I, when you go in on Monday to work, there can be purpose that is much bigger than you. Come on aspire to something. Dream. Pray that God would do the impossible in and through your life. What would your life look like and how would it change if you reached for something for once? Don't just coast. Don't just exist. Now in the context of spiritual leadership, aspiring to the role of the pastor is a necessary prerequisite. In fact, there have been times 
over the years here at Awaken where I've seen somebody that I think maybe is called to be a pastor. And I talk with them about it, and there's just not a desire in their heart for it. There has to be a desire so that it is a prerequisite. But it is not the only prerequisite. In fact, there are a lot of, of others that Paul talks about here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here's the second thought. Would you write this down? The standard is high for the leaders of the church. Write that down. The standard is high. The leaders of the church are called to a very high standard. And I'll tell you why here in just a moment. But let me kind of just walk you through some of this. Because 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 contains 14 very high qualifications for those who are called to pastoral ministry. I'll just mention them uh, real quick. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, 14 things. Above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. He must not be a recent convert. He must be well thought of by outsiders. Now, when you read that list, somebody's like, oh, I ain't on that list. So I'm getting like a failing D on that one. You know, I could find myself in three of the 14, maybe, maybe, right? Yeah, I mean, if you think about those 14 things, the standard is so high. If that were a job, most people wouldn't apply. But this is why this is so different. The calling of a pastor is not a career. It's a calling. So let me speak to somebody who maybe feels that that desire to be in vocational ministry. You feel like God maybe is calling you into the, to the role of a pastor. Let me put it to you this way. Only pursue the role of a pastor if you can't not pursue it. Here's what I mean by that. Only run after it if it's something that anything else is not satisfying, but there's this God-given thirst and hunger For that role. And that would be the case for anything else in your life. Find the thing that God has wired you to do and do that thing. Oftentimes, the way I think about it is I I call it the free test. What are you willing to do for free on top of the things that you have to do? Most likely, that's a, a God given desire in your heart. And maybe. There's going to be room in this season or the next for you to pursue that even even further. But the the standard is high for the leaders of the church. And what's interesting is that these qualifications, these 14 things, cover basically everything of the life of the pastor. His personal life, his home life. even says, did you notice this in verse 4, that he has to manage his own household well? Keep his kids in line? It's a big deal. Because it says in verse 5, if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? The idea is, if you can't lead your own small congregation in your home, how are you going to lead the bigger congregation? So all of this, everything down to what, what the pastor does to unwind and who, who he's in relationship with, and all of this is dealt with right here. But all 14, really, in fact, the latter 13 qualifications are encompassed in the very first one. Paul says a pastor must be above reproach. 
In fact, one way to look at this list is the latter 13 things define the very first one, above reproach. What does a life above reproach mean? It means a life of when somebody accuses you of something, the accusation can't stick. You're too much of a person of integrity for that to make sense based on the way that you live your life. That's being above reproach. Now listen, as a pastor, there will be times where you and I disagree on things. There will be times that I say something that I shouldn't have or I let you down in some way and the same will be true of you. And so the, the thought here is that the way the church functions is not that you expect perfection because listen, God doesn't expect perfection either. God is the one that's perfect. He uses imperfect people to lead his church. But we're going to disagree on things, and that's okay. But we want to, pastors are not above rebuke because we're striving to be above reproach. So when we disagree on things, that's okay. There are some great, healthy ways to approach that, and there are about a million inappropriate ways to approach that disagreement. Let's do it the appropriate way. Let's have some conversations. If you don't know anything about the pastors here at Awaken, you need to know this, that we're pretty easy to get along with guys. We love you. We pray for you. And if there are things that are on your heart, if there's something we can pray for you about, if there's a challenge you want to discuss, or if, you, if, if we've done or said something that's been hurtful to you, or we, we, we misjudged something, would you bring that to us? We're not above rebuke. We're striving to live lives that are above reproach because this is what God has called us to. God doesn't expect perfection. So let's just be reminded that his church, every local church that you're a part of, is led by a human pastor. So listen, I say this as a pastor. Don't put a pastor on a pedestal that he doesn't belong to be on. We are not to be worshiped. We are not to be held to a standard that's inhumane. And I wonder if there's so many pastors in headlines and scandals because so many churches don't allow a pastor to be a human. This is a high standard, but listen. If you're wondering why the standard is so high for the leaders of the church, here's number three. Would you write this down? Because the standard is high for the example of the church. If you're like, man, I'm so glad I'm not called to be a pastor because, man, what a life. No, listen, God has called the pastors to lead in this way as a pattern for the rest of the church. It's not only pastors who are to be above reproach. Do you know there are other times in the New Testament where it says the Christian, the follower of Jesus, is to be above reproach? I mean, we could go through these 14 qualifications. In fact, I should do this sometime. An interesting study would be to take the 14 qualifications of a pastor and find it elsewhere in the New Testament where it's not talking about the pastor. It's talking about the Christian. I'm not the only one called to this. We, as followers of Jesus, are called to live exemplary lives. Not perfection, but to where somebody could look at you and say, hey, I'm new to this whole following Jesus thing. Could I follow you as you follow Jesus? That's what we're all called to do. 
So the, the standard is high for the leaders of the church because the standard is high for the example of the church. And I see that right here at the end of 1 Timothy 3. If you skip ahead, verse 14, it says, Paul, Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, I hope to come see you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so, you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Then he says in verse 16, great indeed we confess. That word great, by the way, means overwhelmingly large and extremely important. Great, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Here's the mystery. Six things. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Three things you need to understand right here that Paul just mentions about the church. First thing is, he says that we are the household of God. Come on, write this down. As a household, we participate. This is what we're called to. Paul says, I'm writing this, Timothy, by the way. I'm writing this letter. He says this right here, so that you know how you ought to behave in the household of God. Here's what Paul is saying. We're a family. This is more than just us coming together for some socialization on a Sunday. No, we're a family. We're the household of God. And as a part of the family of God, there's kind of some expected code of conduct that would go with it. Come on, that was the same at your house growing up. That's right. You better believe it. You didn't get to do just whatever you wanted to do. Come on, how many times did you hear that talk? As long as you're under, under this roof... As long as you're in my house, right? There's a code of conduct. It's expected. If you're part of this household, this is what we're going to do. So as a household, we participate. Here's the second thing. Write this down. As a church, we cooperate. He says, in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Which, by the way, before church had any kind of religious meaning, it was a secular word. It's the Greek word ekklesia which simply means a group of people called together for a purpose. The early church began being called the church, and it took on kind of a new religious meaning. And now I would say that ecclesia means a group of people called together for an eternal purpose. That's the church. So listen, we exist in the world, but we are united in the world as well. We're in it, not of it. You've heard us say that before. So we exist in the world, but we are to be united and to cooperate as the church in the world. We have a divine purpose. And then he says at the end of verse 15, he calls the church a pillar and buttress of the truth. And that we confess the mystery of godliness. Write this down. As a pillar, we communicate. So as a household, we participate. As a church... We cooperate. And as a pillar, we communicate. The church is not the truth. Jesus is the truth. We communicate the truth. And here's the mystery of, the, of God, godliness that we communicate. Six things. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. 
Do you know of those six things, there's only one that is the responsibility of the church? Proclaim among the nations. The other five are out of our control. They're either up to God or up to the response of the people that we proclaim the gospel to. Our job, listen, this is amazing. We are the only organization on planet Earth. We are the only people on Earth that God has entrusted the authority to protect and proclaim the mystery of godliness. That is our job. This is why as a pillar and buttress of the truth, we support and we communicate the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus. Our greatest calling is to communicate who he is to a dying world. So the standard is high for the leaders of the church because the standard is high for the example of the church. God has called pastors into a place of leadership, not because they're better, but because God wants to elevate some people who he can put in a position that the rest of the church can follow. All of us are held to these 14 qualifications as we follow Jesus. So listen, church, my prayer for you today. Raise the bar. Don't just exist. Stop just coasting. Stop just praying petty, safe prayers that'll probably just happen regardless whether or not you prayed them. Pray something that matters. Do something with your life that matters. Take a step of faith. Trust God that he's not going to leave you behind. That as he leads you, I'm not saying do something crazy to do something crazy. I'm saying as the spirit leads you, launch out. He goes with you. He hasn't stopped loving you. He's wired you for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says he, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand for you to walk in. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. Is anybody listening to me? You were created on purpose for a purpose. Don't just exist. Our world needs a church that says, I'm going to do my best to follow Jesus. And you know what one of the best ways to follow Jesus is? Is to follow somebody else who's been at it a little bit longer than you. This is why relationships matter so much in the church. This is why you have to do more than just sit in a chair at a church. Too many people are coasting through life. I got to come and I got to get to my, I got to get to church and get on with my life. I sat in the chair, I checked my, my block, I got, I got on with my life. No, you need relationships here. This is a family. We're the household of God. We're the church of the living God. We're the support, the, the, the pillar and the buttress of truth. We're going to proclaim the gospel. And the gospel is this. That Jesus loved you too much to let you stay in your sin. So God, his only son, he came to earth to die in your place. Because the Bible says the wages of your sin and my sin earned us death and eternal separation from God. And you couldn't pay it and I couldn't pay it, but God himself could come and pay it. And that's why Jesus came and he died the death that you and I deserved. And today he wants to reconcile you to himself. And bring salvation that is only accessible through the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, that's good news. Amen, church? That's the message that we have to proclaim.
Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.